Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Media Boat Podcast year and wrap up as it continues through the topics of the Media Boat Podcast. You, we've done video games, we've done music, we've done television, and today we're finally wrapping it up with movies. And what a weird, weird year for movies. There's a reason, people, that we left it for last. Um, if you're new to the Media Boat Podcast, year-end wrap-up show is our opportunity to look back at the year that was. We do so in three main portions. First of all, we talk about the year that was, month by month, going through news stories that we talked about here on the podcast. Next, after that, we talk about what we think is the most important story of all of those stories, the story of movies for 2020. Then, after that, the fun part starts, where we talk about our top five favorite movies from the year. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. I'm Mike. He's Matt. We are ready to talk about the little movies that came out. And by <laughs> I mean little, that doesn't mean independent films. That just means the amount. Yeah. The thing, the, the, the recurring theme that will come up here is just that movies got delayed canceled like just completely obliterated whatever you want to say because of the events of the pandemic over the course of 2020 so a lot of stuff that was supposed to be major temple releases straight up didn't come out and it left a lot of empty spots uh where there would have been big releases where instead um we just had radio silence now i have some thoughts as okay. I always do, about what our story should be. And two yeah. come to mind. But maybe we'll end up with some five and have them duke it out. Okay. But we'll get there. There's only one way to find out, and that is to start at the very beginning, which I understand is a very good place to start, and talk about the events of January 2020. So let's go back to January 2020 using our media boat time machine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah january 2020 coming back from uh what was a relatively strong box office year of 2019 yeah several a couple billion dollar films disney rolled the box office and as we get into january knighthood as elizabeth queen elizabeth ii knighted three different brits sir steve mcqueen sir sam mendes and Dame Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Which Sir Sam Mendes, as we should now be calling him, <laughs> had directed 1917 and was getting Best Picture buzz from it. Yes. At the beginning of the year, yes. It's hard to, hard to um, imagine now after the 2020 that we've had. But yeah, the Oscars still hadn't happened. Like, the, like we were still talking about big movies, big releases, and... And to have uh, such an honor for um, for Sam Mendes was, uh, yeah, was pretty cool to see. And I mean, um, Steve McQueen and uh, Olivia Newton-John getting involved here uh, in the same kind of, with the same kind of honor is pretty cool as well. Yep. And also in January, we saw the closing of, or rather the rebranding of 20th Century Studios yeah. uh, and Searchlight Pictures officially dropping the fox from both names. Yeah, this is something we figured that was going to happen. Uh, after all, I mean, when the Disney purchase for Fox 
went through, we knew that part of the reformation of those studios would be dropping the Fox from their name. Fox is associated with Fox News and Disney wants to try its hardest, its darndest, to distance itself from that brand. (laughs) Needless Uh, to say. Yeah, needless to say, um, we also saw the official end of movie pass as it filed mm-hmm. for chapter seven bankruptcy. Yeah. But then again, that would have happened this year anyways, with people <laughs> not going to the movies. Yeah. Little did they know that they got out when the going getting was good. They got killed before the storm came. Exactly. And lastly in January, which we're just going to wrap up with the story as we just talked about it on our uh, weekly show. Yes. MGM in preliminary talks with Apple, Netflix, and other large media companies for a purchase, for being purchased to them. Yeah, we just talked about this last week. Sorry, I'm laughing because this story also contains, thankfully you didn't fix it, uh, my favorite typo of yours. <laughs> In 2020, I remember thinking this was really funny. You, yeah, for whatever reason, it's James Bong instead of James Bond. It's a very different movie. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, no, we just talked about this um, and this still hasn't resolved. So this will now move to a 2020 story. (laughs) Uh, And then we had the February and the Oscars. Yes. Uh, where it wasn't 1917 that won, but rather Parasite. Yeah. Being the big winner. Parasite winning uh, Best Picture as well as Best Director for the Director, Screenplay, and International Film uh, surprised everybody. It kind of blew everybody away. And to a lot of people, it was um, proof that every once in a while they get it right at the Academy Awards. It was uh, also proof that. The Academy needed correcting from last year's Green Book winner. <laughs> right, yes. And not giving it to Roma. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, as for the other categories, I mean, it was a pretty predictable night the rest of the time. Um, though it did mark a sad day for me. It was the first time I got um, the screenplay categories wrong. Right, because it was not uh, Knives Out, like you said. I, yeah, my, well, my money was on, I was both wrong in both categories for adapted and original. I had knives out for original and I had little women for adapted and I lost in both. Right. Um, <laughs> Cause original went to parasite and adapted went to Taika Waititi's uh, Jojo uh, rabbit. Yeah. Jojo rabbit. So yeah. Uh, can't get them right all the time, but yeah, I was nearly a perfect record and just ruined everything. <laughs> we'll see how this year goes <laughs> when Sonic the Hedgehog takes it now <laughs> uh, and then we have back in January as well Bob Iger stepping down as Disney CEO yeah he would later kind of step back into a leadership position at the studio but uh, him doing so at the beginning of the year both made sense but it was also kind of surprising Uh, because we had reported at the very end of 2019 uh, that he hadn't been um, seeking replacements and he hadn't had any direct um, like heir uh, picked to replace him once he left. So the fact that all of a sudden he just says, ah, now I'm out, was kind of a big bomb. That being said, um, there's also some speculation that the timing of this was 
not coincidental considering that just a couple of months after this, we had a nationwide pandemic. Uh, yeah, so be free to uh, put your conspiracy theories in here is what I'd say. I mean, I'll put my conspiracy theories everywhere with my tinfoil hat on. <laughs> yes, it but reflects. No. But I mean, yeah, because coming into March, no one saw what was going to happen next. Right. Which started with the South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, officially being canceled. Yeah. Did we skip February? No, oh, that was February. That's, that was February. Oscars Sorry, I think Disney. you said back to January when you meant back to February. So I was confused. Oh. Anyway, March. Yes, the, year, the, the month that some would argue we're still in right now. <laughs> the never-ending March. Yeah, well, we had uh, South by Southwest yeah. being canceled. Right. And then we had the big April shuffle of the time with James Bond, No Time to Die, moving it out of its release date. Yeah. Now, of course, it's been moved out of this year as it is not, uh, it was, it was not released. Right. But what ended up taking its place was Trolls World Tour. Mm-hmm. And this, I will start to say, is the first of the big uh, stories of the year. Yeah, being I think this... Trolls World Tour. Yeah, we'll get to that in April when it's released because it it starts a sea change. Um, but yeah, this is a well, this is basically uh, the first domino you're seeing right here in this uh, early March kind of the studios being kind of scared away from uh, putting the movies out when you start hearing that oh shoot in the next month we possibly won't have people able to go to movie theaters you push things back and. They didn't know at the time, but all the studios would soon realize that this was the dominoes would not stop falling after one month, after two months, even after six months, and that they would just keep having to push or make a potential change that could change this this like the 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 fate of the movie industry as it is, which uh well, we'll get there. Right. Well, I mean, that's literally our next story. Um, yeah. in march and the last time we were together yes when we reported uh, this uni- announcing universal pictures would make its movies available on home entertainment the same day as global theatrical releases yes starting with trolls world tour yeah this was the moment when this the traditional uh model of Movies just are released in theaters and that's how it is uh, kind of started to fall off. This is when it started to teeter uh, because this, of course, started an argument of sorts between Universal and the big uh, movie theater chains. This is when AMC comes out, which we'll probably talk about in a minute here. Uh, and says that they're not going to carry Universal films because of this decision. But Universal saw the tea leaves and guessed correctly that this was not going to be over anytime soon. And if they wanted to make the money that they would usually have made, they needed to change their business model. So yeah, I think if anything, the year is borne out that Universal was correct. Universal called it. And none of the and the all the rest of the studios for the rest of the year were playing catch up. Universal played the safe game early on 
mm-hmm. not knowing how it was going to play out, and it worked to their favor. It was the oh, safe move, but it was yeah. also the right move. Of course, it's important to mention that when they made this original uh, uh, announcement, Peacock did not exist yet. So they didn't quite have a streaming destination for these things yet. Instead, they did it through traditional um, digital release uh, methods uh, where you could buy it a la carte. Uh, We'll get to Peacock later in this year. And I wonder, though, if Peacock had launched earlier, I wonder if this would have been a different story. I think they probably could have moved Peacock up mm-hmm. and had it launch with Trolls World Tour, and you would have gotten a lot of people, a lot more people to at least initially sign up. Yeah, I think if you have them do this again, that's probably what they would have done. It's just that, again, nobody knew that this was going to be beyond April. Right. They thought that this was going to be a brief band aid for their problem, not a permanent solution. So, well, and that I, goes hand in hand with um, the government saying it's not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. It's like the, that was just the air. The air in March was like everybody. I everything I was hearing, everything everybody was hearing was, oh yeah, you don't need masks. You just wash your hands. You're probably okay. We're just gonna keep going to work, right? And then when sports stopped, which we talked about at length on our television wrap-up episode. Well, that was our story of the year. Yeah, that's when everybody started realizing, oh, actually, no, more information is coming out about this thing. Maybe we should go home? I remember thinking how wild, now thinking back to how like the wild the sounds, I wasn't even wearing my mask to go uh, to get something from the drive-thru for the first few months there. Now I'm like, was I crazy? I was endangering those poor drive-thru workers, but I didn't know. There wasn't enough information out there to tell us until later. And so, yeah, like the studios were just like us. They were making these assumptions and guesses. I mean... You got sidetracked there, some personal stories, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It was, it was a, I thought it was a a relatable example of how different it was back in March than it is now. Oh, no. I mean, I remember like even back then, I was supposed to go on a flight (laughs) that week. Right. I don't know. Yeah. I'm kind of proud of myself for seeing the future on that one. I didn't know that, that I was going to be as right as I was about not going on that trip, but turns out. Hey, now I got credits to Hawaii. I mean, yes, that's true. You ended up just pushing that money towards another plane, essentially. Now we'll see if that happens. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you should be asking yourself is now, is that even going to be possible? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Anyway, let's let's move on. (laughs) Anyways, yeah. uh, March and like when we started doing these telecasts, we got pretty (laughs) crazy as we saw stuff shut down and we saw theaters themselves shut down with yes. uh, the Alamo Draft House of putting together a $2 million emergency fund, uh, relief fund for its staff. Yeah. And this, yeah, this was, this, this kind of um, started a, 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 again, like a, a list of theater chains following this that also had to make decisions uh, similar to this about completely shutting down how much money they had it was occurring a recurring story throughout the year about do these chains have the money to keep going um how are they going to like what are they going to make sacrifices for what new business models are they going to introduce to keep 
um, cash flow going. And yeah, it all starts here. Uh, some did it better than others. Right. I'm going to bring this up as probably our second story, and that is theaters closing. Yeah. For an indefinite period of time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because it affected our box office numbers. And yes. we I have a note here that literally says, Stopped counting box office as of yeah. 319. <laughs> it stopped mattering. Like, because if you don't have a reliable amount of people going to uh, movies every week, the box office is going to be wild. And sure enough, that's what happened. Or um, non-existent. As or, we not, saw or completely non-existent. Some weeks barely hit a million. Yeah, that didn't even have any big releases. Also, if there's no big releases, there's no reason to have movie theaters. So it's kind of a... Um, a self-fulfilling prophecy at the end of the day where you're, yeah, without people going to theaters, there's no reason to put out movies and without movies to go see, no one's going to go to the theater anyways. And so, yeah, you ended up just, yeah. In a way, I almost don't want to treat it as a separate story because part of me thinks it's kind of all related to the same thing, which is, is that the relationship, I, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I think the story might be the relationship between studios and movie theater chains is straight up changing in front of us. I think that would combine a lot of stories and yeah. we'll get there at the end though. <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there. All right. Cause we need to move on into April. Yes. April. Yeah. As the AFI movie club decided to do virtual daily gatherings. Yeah. So people could have a theater like experience with other people watching the same movie at the same time. Yeah, it seemed like a pretty neat idea. Yep. Uh, we also had Amazon Prime Video partnering with South by Southwest to showcase the 2020 Film Festival. Yep. Which was also, I remember at the time be- being like, yeah, this is probably how they're going to do it from here on out. This, like, as long as this goes. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. And South by Southwest, the Corman Quarantine Film Festival. Yeah. And here's where we're going to go. The All Trolls right. World Tour. This That's is the big story. For. Yeah, the big story in April for sure. So when it was announced that Trolls World Tour would be going on streaming video on demand. Yeah. Or premium video on demand, however you want to video on demand. call it. Um, Universal would not release their numbers because numbers would still come in, numbers would fluctuate. So we had to wait three weeks for numbers to come in, in which we found out that it racked up $100 million in rentals alone. Yeah. But here's the catch, though. They don't get to split that with the box office with the theaters that's not right. a 50 50 split that's more of like an 80 i think it's 80 20 yeah 80 percent split so it ended up making more money than the original trolls because of that box office take right so what you saw from this story is what makes the theater chains anxious because when the theater chains see that the studios are realizing, Oh, 
they're that they can make more money by not putting it in theaters at all that makes the theaters be like well they don't need us Uh oh do they not need us anymore and then they start panicking i mean if you think back to the history of film this relationship has always been contentious yeah way 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 back in the early days you had you know the conversation between the studios and the theaters back when studios owned theaters and that was eventually outlawed uh, because the idea was, is that was in the monopoly and that instead theater chains should be independent operate like independently operated. So that way you couldn't book just a studio's movies in a way that made other studios movies in those same theaters perform worse. So that was the case. And this is the first time in almost a hundred years where that is becoming questioned again, because if the studios are only releasing things on their platforms, whether it be streaming or especially for these media companies that have cable arms, video on demand, and that includes Warner now with, because they're under the AT&T umbrella. It includes universal because they're under the Comcast umbrella. So if you start having that conversation, well, was, that's not too much different from the Monopoly conversation. It's exactly the same. It's just not a physical building anymore. It's a digital storefront. So if you're the theater chains, you definitely start freaking out because you imagine that 100 years of history has just been undone. <laughs> and a business relationship that, has done, that is the reason why you exist is potentially in, like, is being threatened. So yeah. In response, the big chains you have here down, Cineworld, Regal, and AMC, all basically looked at these numbers and said, uh, no, screw you, Universal. We're not going to show future Universal films because they, quote, have failed to respect the release windows. And uh, yeah, they're not wrong. And they're right to be worried uh, because their entire existence is threatened. But as the year goes on, you start seeing a version where we start having a different conversation, which is something we've talked about as recently as last week's regular show, which is the theaters. Now it's on the onus is on them to make like step up and find reasons why people would want to go to theaters because the studios are not going to turn away from this moment. The studios have realized now that this is a viable money-making opportunity to have things in the home. And so now the two environments are going to have to coexist and the question now is just how and no that's no there's no answer that that's just it yeah how can they exist now yeah we we they have there's no one doing what they thought they had a bargaining chip right being the sole distributor but that turned out to be a buffalo nickel and the thing is is that Someone in the studios and probably people up in, up at the top of these uh, theater chains probably all knew this. I mean, this is not a secret. It is not a secret that if the studios wanted to, even five years ago, they could have switched to this model and made more money. It's just that because of how worried both sides were about ending a relationship that, like I said, has been a century old plus at this point just it breaks it tears at the fabric of something that is a tradition that is like the dna of the movie industry so they knew that this was a possible this was a card that they had that they could put out and put down at the table 
of the table at any time. It's just that the pandemic forced their hand. It's one of my favorite um, sociological experiments, which is <laughs> the sunken cost fallacy. Right. That you've put so much time and effort into something that's basically just an establishment at this point to question why you're doing it, question <laughs> to back away from it. When you have yeah. all this history behind it, is frightening and you don't want to do it because of all the history that you have with it. Yeah. But sometimes it's better just to break from it and start new and start fresh. Yeah. And to but be you fair, don't know that because right. you're thinking in your head all this history to look back on, like, see, it worked ish. And but even five all... years even five years ago when Netflix started putting out its own movies. Yeah. They all still needed a platform to do it. And they weren't going to just give it to Netflix, obviously. Um, And so that's when you started seeing these companies looking at Disney start making these streaming services. Um, One wrinkle to this, though, uh, that did kind of push back this conversation is technology. I mean, it's only been in the last 15 years that we've had that the studios have had the ability to do this as rapidly as they can. With digital on demand and um, streaming be at the pl- being at the place that it is, it makes this idea definitely more money making and easier than it ever has been before. Like if we're talking 30 years ago, this is impossible. If we're talking 30 years ago, they need the theater chains because video releases were even in 1990 a niche thing. Like it was only as the 90s progressed and Disney and studios like them put all their power into home releases that things changed and the market changed. But really before our lifetimes, it was unthinkable, not only for the relationship that was established, like they, like I said, they didn't want to ruin that relationship and what you're talking about with the sunken cost fallacy, but it was also technologically impossible. They needed movie theaters. Right. And anything that came to direct home video was seen as utter garbage. Right. Um, I mean, there's a lot of, like you said, Disney <laughs> sequels yes. that went direct to video that people kind of poo-poo on that are now readily available on Disney+. Plus. So I think it's not just the pandemic, even though the pandemic is the thing that forced the hand. I think it's also a perfect storm and a culmination of something that they've been working towards in a way for years at this point. It's one of the core reasons why every studio wants a streaming service, right? Is because they know that if they own the the, the platform, they get the rev- they get the most revenue. It's so, what made the Disney Vault so special, right? Exactly, and everybody figured that out at the same time, and are now all launching their services all at once. Anyway, anyways, yeah. Um, the theaters were kind of mad at Universal. Yeah. And it'll just get worse from here. Oh, will it? <laughs> uh, as we get into May, um, and the first of the Academy Academy Awards, starting to kind of take a lax repo- approach on eligibility, where they allow streaming videos to be considered. Yeah. This is a series of rule changes that the Academy had to make because 
there was no getting around the fact that their traditional rules for eligibility would eliminate all but very, very few films in calendar year 2020. Um, and yeah, that has borne out to be true. And so these lax, more lax rules allowed there to be an award ceremony this year, straight up. Yeah, I mean, because that was the last big gathering in February. Mm-hmm before March hit and they canceled and sports canceled everything. <laughs> um, additionally, though, it is interesting uh, to consider that in 2019, in the pre- previous year, we had talked so much about what you briefly brought up uh, in the last story, which was Netflix's struggle with basically their self-financed films being viable in award season and trying to figure out, oh, how long will they allow Netflix to like put something in a theater, a physical theater and be to be eligible. And this kind of makes that conversation moot more or less. Uh, It was yet another thing that the pandemic kind of forced. It forced the Academy's hand to accept the fact that it's going, that it, that for streaming services, it's just, they're, they're a viable source for film now. Like they just are now. I don't think they can go back from this. Right. Cause we had talked about last year, um, how Netflix was buying theaters mm-hmm. to showcase their own films in order to qualify for the Academy Awards. Well, now that's no longer the case. Yeah. But what is a case and is a big case because you're going <laughs> up against a director who <laughs> makes love to film Gross. on a regular basis. Disgusting. Oh, he is disgusting. Tell him to stop that. Uh, Christopher Nolan <laughs> and his fight with Warner Brothers and yes. will he won't he release Tenet <laughs> this was this took forever for this movie to come out this was a story that we kept reporting over and over again because yeah Christopher Nolan's whole hang-up was that he loves traditional film releases is men like him which is the reason why the studios and the theater chains have been so um uh, hesitant about changing the way the business is done because they're just people who just think that there's a magic like spark to watching a film in a theater that you lose in home consumption so because of this uh he basically threw a pity party for half of the year about how if it wasn't going to come out the real way it wasn't going to come out at all basically putting that stipulation that at least 80 percent of global theaters need to be open by the time that tenant gets released um, originally slated for July 17th. Um, and yeah, it just didn't happen. Like we, we, it was basically like he just had to eventually give up the dream and just be like, I guess we're going to put it out in theaters, but we're going to settle for whatever chains that are actually open. And the actual number, let's just say it was very south of 80%. Oh, was it? You know, two <laughs> weeks after the 4th of July? Uh-huh. He just had to deal with it. And the result was, is that Tenet did not get the release that he wanted it to. I mean, that's not, that shouldn't be surprising. Um, Very few people saw it. Those who did see it, um, it seemed to get middling reviews. Uh, It's definitely going to be remembered as a speed bump in his career and not not the triumph that I think he wanted it to be. I mean, one of those big reasons is because you couldn't see it on an IMAX screen. Yes. 
Christopher Nolan makes films for the IMAX experience where it's big, it's loud, it's in your face. And it's look how great my film is. I'm suddenly can't really get that same kind of feeling yeah. from a drive-in or your home yeah. theater. I'm suddenly or recalling lack of a theater in your home. <laughs> yeah, I'm suddenly recalling a, a conversation we had at some point, which sounds hilarious now, but made sense at the time. Which we were trying to think about if it did come out to very little hoopla, if he would re-release it, say. For the Christmas holiday, <laughs> I think is what you said in IMAX and try to make like a big deal about it. So that way people see it the way it was meant. And now I'm thinking like, oh man, what, what, how naive we were. <laughs> and we thought it was oh going to be resolved by Christmas. This would be over in October. Yeah, we all did, didn't we? But yeah, no, um, I do think that that's something that they do the first chance that they have the opportunity. I think what Warner has the ability to do is, and to make Nolan happy is when theaters are open in that magic 80% number again, I think you do see a re-release of tenant because I don't think that they can let the tent story of tenant end here. No. And I think you see it as an IMAX exclusive only. Yeah. Something like that, where they make it an event film instead of just a normal release. Mm-hmm. Because the Nolan fans will come out to see it and they will drag people to go out to see it. Yeah. Those who care, care a lot, turns out. Yep. Uh, And then we get into June where we have the protests happen and summer happen and Bad Robot announcing a $10 million pledge to various organizations uh, following Black Lives Matter. Yes, we talked about it in the other wrap-up shows, but yes, June is when we start seeing the uh, the protests uh, following George Floyd's uh, death and the Black Lives Matter movement in kind of its in its 2020 incarnation. And yeah, uh, we had a lot of stories about um, the film industry reacting to this. Yep, uh, we also had California theaters begin to open up. Sort of. Sort of. Briefly, maybe. <laughs> Was it a good idea? Probably not. No, this ended up being kind of short-lived. Um, from my understanding is that some theater chains are still open. Um, I heard of one that's relatively local to here that I was surprised and shocked to hear that it was still open in my hometown. Um, but the bigger chains are mostly shut down still. Um, from what I understood, the chains in my place area mm-hmm. were doing both new releases and you could rent out the theater, which became a popular yeah. thing. Yeah. I think that was forwarded by the Alamo Draft House. Yeah, and then AMC we'll kind of to... took that ball later in the year and said they were going to do something similar. Right. And then Regal did it, and then Cinemark did it. Yeah. I don't know. But, I... Were, but they could only show, like, old movies past yeah. 20 years. I was going to say I, I would be interested to see how popular that was because – I feel like it came up a lot and I talked to a lot of people about it, but I don't think anybody who I talked to actually ended up doing it. I think it's a good idea and concept, but the actual practicality of it, it just wasn't practical. Well, that was going to be a plan for my birthday in October. (laughs) And it didn't happen. It didn't happen because, (laughs) well, yeah. when you finally get to see your friends in a movie theater, are you going to sit alone and sit and talk and watch a movie or you want to talk to them? Mm-hmm. talk through a movie that yeah, you yep. 
seen probably umpteenth number of times. Yeah, exactly. It's if you're just going to meet, just just meet. You don't need the booby to do that. Mm-hmm. Just be safe. Six feet masks. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then we also have um, the film industry starting up again on June 12th. Yes. With all their myriad um, safeguards uh, to make sure things were safer than before. So this included daily testing, symptom checks, uh, you know, wiping down all the equipment. And this would continue to be the model through the rest of the year. This sort of got the ball rolling, um, but also presented a lot of the difficulties that we've discussed throughout the years about filming on studios in um, in the pandemic times. Um, as we've talked about as recently as the last couple of weeks of this podcast, it drives up costs when you have to hire uh, less, pe- fewer people when you aren't, uh, when you have to, uh, make sure that things are clean constantly and it makes cheaper productions more and more expensive. Right. I think it adds approximately what I read was $1 million to each production just for COVID regulation and safety. Right. And then you get into how big does your cast get? How many people can you wrangle Mm -hmm. in this pandemic? Because as we talked about even last podcast, yeah, you're not going to get 100, 200 extras <laughs> anywhere now. Right. It changes the practicality of pretty much every element of, uh, of shooting something. But it does increase the CGI audience. <laughs> it's true. Everybody <laughs> loves the CGI audience, as we've learned over the course of the year. <laughs> and piped in crowd noise. Gotta love it. Yeah, uh, and then we also had King of Staten Island being released. Yeah, did uh, seem like there were some complications with uh, whether or not it would be uh, released physically in real theaters or not, which uh, caused a little bit of a tiff. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it ended up being a Netflix release. Is that correct, or was that a Hulu? Uh, Amazon release. Oh wow, I was wrong. Both counts. Um, yeah, I don't think you see that coming up in uh, award season. I think a lot of people have forgotten that that movie exists. It's not on my top five. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get into July with AMC theaters pushing back its reopening by two weeks. Because, yeah, everyone thought that, hey, we should be open by July 4th weekend. Nope. Hindsight is very 2020. <laughs> yes, turns out. It's also interesting here uh, that, yeah, this uh, kind of solidified that tenant uh, would not make its July date, would be pushed to August, um, as well as Disney's Mulan, which would have a different fate that we'll get to a little later. But speaking of Disney and July 4th, that was the release of Hamilton. On yeah, Disney Plus. On Disney Plus. This was kind of a surprise. Uh, Disney had this on the shelf ready for a holiday release and instead decided to move it all the way up and release it for Disney Plus subscribers. And I think it ended up being a good call. I think that a lot of people needed something um, to kind of unite around in the kind of dog days of summer this year during the pandemic. A lot of people stuck at home. And I think it created a little bit of a cultural event and reignited the... Um, 
wonderful uh, discussions that happen between the people who love and the people who hate Hamilton, the musical. Uh, it also ignited a really interesting topic of does Hamilton qualify for the Academy Awards? And the answer ended up being no, uh, <laughs> because they do have weird arbitrary rules about uh, things that are shot from a live performance. People did argue that stand-up comedy films have been eligible in the past, but because it's a stage thing, it's basically not edited in any way. It's not presented in in a new form. So thus... Oh, it is presented in a new form. (laughs) There are several camera angles which you cannot get from a theater, including looking out into said theater. But what I can tell you, as someone who has seen the stage production and the film production... I can tell you that the direction uh, and dis- like the decisions made with those camera movements could have been much, much better. I was actually very disappointed uh, with the way that this was shot. And I didn't, yeah, I don't think I talked about this when we talked about it on the podcast. Uh, I just didn't think it was a very dynamic presentation of the musical. Um, but that's neither here nor there. I think that it makes sense what they uh, what the Academy said. And hey, Ultimately, it's either going to be Oscars or Emmys, and they're going to with Emmys, so that's fine with me. <laughs> eh, I mean, <laughs> in a in a year where there's not that many films to be eligible for an Oscar, yeah, you kind of have to put it there to fill yeah. it out. I think if they do a full film version of that musical, then that will be your Oscar moment. Okay, we'll so see. that will be your Le- Les Mis. I think that is yeah when they lay Mis it. That's that's I think when it when it's mattering. All right, where's Tom Hooper at? Yeah, we would have had a very different um, uh, Lin Manuel twenty twenty if his In the Heights uh, film had come out because that was the one that I think he was hoping for Oscar buzz. Right, which instead will be coming out in HBO Max twenty twenty one, which we'll get to that one too. We'll get to there. We'll get there. <laughs> that's that's several months from here. Uh, yeah, but even in July, we had several um, complications once um, production started to get going. And so Warner Brothers had decided to set up a an anonymous reporting mechanism in Europe, uh, mainly Pinewood Studios, for anyone wanting to be a whistleblower and talk that people are breaking COVID-19 safety protocols unless you're Tom Cruise, in which case you just yell at them straight to their face. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a, this became a continuing story as the year went on. Uh, I think everybody um, in this cast eventually did recover and they did resume uh, shooting. Um, that being said, yeah, it, it's kind of a risk to do this. And this is going to happen as long as there's still a pandemic happening. The reality of it. And then... I mean, we still have the will they, won't they with Tenet in July. (laughs) And we wrap up July with Universal and AMC. Um, Before we get there, I just want to comment on that last story real quick about Tenet. The interesting part about that last story in uh, in, uh, July here is that they basically had to uh, change up their plans and realize, hey, actually the market internationally potentially could make us some money. So why don't we do it there first, which ended up actually being a pretty smart idea. So 
they were eventually concerned about leaks, which makes sense because Nolan films are best when they're not spoiled for you. Uh, but it ended up being the right call, especially because as the pandemic has progressed, the United States has been so behind in recovery just and with so ahead in the number of cases and deaths that it did make sense and still makes sense, I think, to focus on an international market prior. I don't know if recovery is the right word because you can't <laughs> recover from something you never got better from. I mean, yes, that's true. <laughs> but yes, um, internationally in Europe and uh, Asian markets, the virus did subside more yeah. than in the U.S. And so, yeah, it made more sense uh, to release a movie where more people can see it as opposed to here. But yeah, I just thought that was a, another interesting wrinkle to the tenant story. Right. And then, as I started saying, wrapping yes. up July, yes. uh, AMC announced that right. the feud is over between it and Universal as an agreement would see AMC show Universal Films and grant them a smaller theatrical window, meaning mm-hmm. titles are available on demand sooner. Now, this is interesting looking back on now because we now know what happens later with H- with Warner and Disney making the decisions that they would make later in the year for streaming release windows. So now the question is, is does AMC still care as much as they did back in the summer? And why aren't they talking, making these similar um, similar deals with those other studios? It's unclear. Is it because they're struggling to even exist at this point? Do you think that because they're so strapped for cash that AMC doesn't even have the energy to go after Warner and Disney in the same way? Well, as our did they just story, accept in the first week of August, yeah. Well, we talk about how the cinema chains have about a year in cash reserves. Yeah. At that point. So do you think it's really about the money here? Or do you think it was just eventually they just basically accepted the new reality? I think this is part of them accepting the new reality and yeah. them basically signing Universal into a contract saying we got one of them right bird in the hand is worth two yeah. in the bush they're gonna have to settle for it because i i bet universal now is upset because if you're universal you're looking at these deals from the other ones and look and they're probably yeah they're probably wishing that they hadn't had this tiff with amc so that way they could do a similar thing with peacock but it's too late well universal basically poked that bear <laughs> by releasing Trolls yeah. World Tour and said, okay, you deal with us now and basically mm-hmm. let the other guys skirt by. Yeah, they were the canary in the coal mine, I think is what this is, to use the, the metaphor. Is, yeah, like they they were the first ones out. They were the first ones to realize that they had to change. But because they were so early, they didn't, they, had, they unfortunately get the punishment because they weren't, they didn't last long enough for everybody else to do the same thing. Oh, well. We'll see what happens next year. Yep. And then we get into August, where Disney announced a premium on Disney Plus. Yeah. For Milan. Yeah. 
this ended or thirty dollars. Yeah, this ended up being a interesting choice. I think ultimately Disney did decide that it was viable, but only for specific movies. It definitely definitely didn't end up being the solution. Disney would later realize that they could just put uh, day one releases on the streaming service without the premium. Um, but at the time, I think it made sense. It was an experimental phase that you have to go through if you're a company to make sure to see how much people are willing to pay. And I think that's mainly what it was used for because it had a large budget. They needed to somehow recuperate that. And yeah. Disney Plus being $6 at the time per month is a really low entry point. Yeah. Comparatively. Comparatively. Comparatively to, you know, knowing that somebody is going to bring their whole family to a uh, late, like a seven o'clock movie and they're going to pay $13 a pop. So yeah, comparatively it is a low entry fee. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, this, so this is still kind of something that still has like that has the story hasn't really finished yet. We, Disney's already said that they're going to continue using the premium style for select movies in the future. Um, so yeah, it'll be really up to them to see how long that this experiment lasts. Yep, and then we had the DC fandom <laughs> with um, what's well, essentially Comic Con online virtual Comic Con. Yeah, and Olivia Wilde tapped to direct a Spider Man film. Or yeah, supposedly Spider-Man film. Right. I wonder how any of this is has now like changed or morphed as the years gone on. Now that we know more about what uh the plans are for the third in the um Tom Holland series. Right. Uh and then we get into September here. And the Academy Awards pop up yet again. <laughs> Um, where they try and uh, do new representation and inclusion standards uh, in order for films to be eligible for best picture category. Yeah. Oh, this was a weird one where they had, th you must meet three. Right. One of the three criterias. And what it ended up being is basically, yeah, we're just going to go by numbers because it's the easiest way of doing this, which isn't the best you know, for optics, but I guess it's fine. It's something is kind of where I think we landed on it. It was something that they had to do and numbers are the easiest way to be unbiased. <laughs> um, but, you know, you can skew that any way you want. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, you either had like either two above the line behind the camera or several below the line yeah in production studios basically, yeah just like basically numbers of 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 crew or cast of um of like of some sort of minor, minority representation right and then we had the fallout from tenet being open uh coming into theaters and wonder woman 1984 being pushed back from october to christmas day yeah, I mean, speaking of canaries and coal mines, I think when everybody saw how Tenet performed when it was finally released, I think that was another like another nail in that coffin for the studios. That was more proof that the studios needed that they could not release their big temples in the traditional method. 
Right. And all in all, I think the three main studios each had their own swipe with Universal being uh, Crawl's World Tour, with mm-hmm. Warner Brothers being Tenet, and with Disney being Mulan and it's uh, $30 streaming. Right. They each had their own different take on how to handle <laughs> it and each one more or less got nicked for it. Yeah, and honestly, the takes continue. <laughs> yep. Um, I like this story about the Penske Media. Yeah. But I don't know how big that is, though. It is interesting, so we should probably talk about it here. Um, yeah, the same company, specifically the same dude, uh, oversees all the top Hollywood trade publications now. So Variety, The Hollywood Reporter, and Deadline. And I think the conversation that we had when we reported on the story was that's not great for journalism because if you want independent voices that are not beholden um, to like large interests, there's fewer and fewer of them. Yeah, I mean, it's when you combine those three trades with the Rolling Stones, Billboard, and Vibe in music you're kind of controlling a media outlet there. Yeah. Two media, two big sections of media. Yeah. And so it's hard. And as we know from years and years of absorbing media coverage is that some of the best coverage comes from your independent voices and to potentially endanger them is, yeah, it's just bad news. And then we, rolled from there into October where Regal and Cineworld Group confirmed the temporary suspension of its operations. Yeah. Basically a second shutdown across the US and UK as cases began to rise. Yeah, which makes sense. Which makes sense. They had, like I said, I think Tenet's performance proved not only to the studios, but to the theater chains, is that there's nothing that was going to come out and miraculously bring them back. No, and this was what caused Disney to restructure its media and entertainment divisions, Yep, which basically caused them to shut down or very bare bones limit its theme park division mm-hmm. and focus heavily on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I mean, so this is interesting because this story predates the story that we'll talk about a little later here about H- uh, about Warner and HBO Max. But we knew that if the studios were starting to realize the writing was on the wall, that they were going to have to restructure their businesses to take care of it. And Disney saw this. Disney realized that they needed to focus um, content, the content pipe on to Disney Plus because it was something that they knew wasn't going to go away or be limited at all um, by the pandemic. They just, they looked at the numbers and they knew what they had to do. And I remember at the time we were probably thinking, oh, I wonder if those Mulan numbers actually bore out that this was the right decision, even though they hadn't released them yet. Later we'd realize that, yeah, more or less that seemed to be suggesting that basically added fuel to their fire. It uh, wasn't the core reason, um, but it was the way that the winds were going. They were able to see it and act accordingly. And the other shoe would drop in just a month from then. 
a month or a couple weeks. Yeah, more or less. More or less. <laughs> um, and in one of the, the brighter spots of the year that we reported on, Margot Robbie and the Lucky Exports Pitch Program, yeah. which she had co-founded, saw 100% sales return helping women writers break into Hollywood. Yeah. And that was a fun story to report on. Just the the little gold feel-good nugget in what was an otherwise pretty downer year. Yeah, and the fact that it's been successful already is pretty rad. Like the yeah. fact that there's been 100% sales return on all those pitches, the original six, um, is great. And I think that having programs like this for new up-and-comers is vital in a uh, in a industry that is getting more and more stale as more and more company consolidation happens. So yeah, just good to see. Just a good bright spot. Yep. And then we get into rolling right into November. And we start to see the holiday releases being pulled. Right. Including Free Guy, Death on the Nile, mm-hmm. uh, Wonder Woman was basically everything got pulled except for Wonder Woman sticking to its December date. At this point, yes. <laughs> At this point. And I the mean, crude sticking to it. Yeah, uh, and the crudes being one of the weird odd ones out. Right. Yeah. Just makes oh. sense. And here, oh, there's Johnny Depp. <laughs> there Hello, he is. Johnny Depp. There's that stinker. That was only in November. It feels like forever ago. I mean, the cases between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard and the Sun, I think it's the Sun newspaper. Oh, yeah. Um, That, yeah, the Sun um, had been going on for a while, but this ultimately culminated in Johnny Depp losing out on the role of Grindelwald. Yeah, in the Fantastic Beasts movies. Right. Which, I mean, I feel like this was a long time coming. I think it's probably, it, it, it took them longer than it should have uh, because this conversation has been talk, been happening around depth for years at this point. And so it made sense for Disney to finally just be like, you know what, we can probably just get somebody else in this role. And they ended up recasting him. So yeah, makes sense. And then we have the official word from Warner that, Yes. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984 will be releasing in theaters and HBO Max day and date on December 25th. Yeah, this would have been an interesting, more interesting if it wasn't for what Warner would do weeks later um, and just say, okay, this is our model now. Um, at the time, though, yeah, this made this was a big move because it proved that even Warner was willing to do day one uh, streaming releases, even for a big, big, big tentpole film. Um, little did we know at the time that there was some sweetheart deals happening underneath uh, this uh, announcement uh, that would later be revealed and that I talked about when we talked about um, more recent stuff a few weeks ago. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, well, we'll get there to it right now because we're yeah. in December and yeah. just HBO Max and Elliot Page. Hmm. And that's basically the end of the year. Right, yeah. And that kind of brings us to here. Uh, so yeah, Elliot Page. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a big deal. Uh, this was a big deal for him. Um, 
for him coming out, like just a big staple of Hollywood, both television now with Umbrella Academy and a film. I mean, um, just a well-known star coming out is like this is a very, very big deal. Right. All the support that was brought out for him as well. Right, right, right. So, yeah, I think it was another one of those bright spots of the year for sure to see um, someone become the person who they, you know, always were and want to be and just be more comfortable in their skin. And that's great. Yeah. But um, I think, yeah, HBO Max announcing that its entire 2021 slate kind of qualifies for a story of the year, even if it did happen weeks ago. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it's an, definitely the moment when we knew that this was just that there was no going back. Um, just Warner just being like, yeah, no, everything, not just Wonder Woman, but everything, all the big major releases that we had on the calendar for 2021. Yeah, they're just going to be on HBO Max. Here, here they are. They're just here. Um, yeah, I think this is this was smart and this is smart and it remains smart. And I, it. Yes, it complicates the relationship with the theater chains, but that's a conversation they're going to have to have, uh, that we're going to have to have no matter what. And yeah, I think you're right. It's one of the biggest stories of the year, certainly because of what it potentially means for how the business of movies keeps going as it is. And it does pull the ball, put the ball in every other studio's court. I mean, it did essentially make changes to what Disney would announce. Yes a week later disney's a lot of disney's reaction was or response like yeah it was in response to this you could definitely see that disney even though they were probably already thinking about doing this with some of their releases i think it did add more confidence to them for just going whole hog on it and not really focusing at all on theatrical release for their movies and having a crutch with streaming and digital release and then we end the year where we started with MGM <laughs> being up for sale again. Yeah, yeah, which we, we kind of already talked about. Makes sense. Like I said, I'll say what I said on the uh, regular podcast when we talked about this. Your tech companies, your Amazons and your Apples are probably the players here because that gets them into stu- that gets them into studio ownership. And then you have new players in a slowly shrinking field. Mm-hmm but we need to get us into a story of the year. We do. I told you this would go longer than you thought. (laughs) I have a simple proposition for you. Okay. I'm going to continue what I was talking about earlier. I'm going to say, let's wrap up some of these stories into a nice tidy package, which I will say that 2020 is the year where the relationship between the studios and the theater chains will change. This is the start of that relationship finally being different after a century of the same. Right. And I think that kind of wraps several stories that we've talked mm-hmm. about, which are Trolls World Tour and the yep. fallout from there. Yep. Tenet and the yep. fallout from that. And the premium video on demand. Yeah. That boomed this year. Yeah, they're all connected. They all came from the studios realizing that they had the power this whole time to do this, but the pandemic was the thing that forced their hand. The and power was inside of you the whole yes, time. Yes, the whole time. 
and the theater chains um, initially, yeah, they bristled at it, but I think they're going to have to re, re, like figure out ways to play ball. And that's going to be, and we're not really going to know the answer to that question until sometime next year when people start going to movie theaters again, which who knows when that's going to be. I think that this will end up being a monkey's paw mm-hmm. as we get into the next year with the with movies skipping theaters and going to streaming service, which people will say, oh, it's just free <laughs> on said streaming service. Uh-huh. Will that put a hamper on the actual premium videos, which will charge you $20, $30? on mm-hmm. like say Apple or Google or Amazon to buy when you could just sign up for a month of HBO Max for a fraction of that cost. And I think for all of this, we won't have, we just straight up won't have answers until we see the numbers. We won't see, because I think there's going to be, we're going to see people who just have preferences pop up at some point. You're going to have the person who just prefers to see movies in theaters, AKA I'm going to call them the mic. Um, that person is going to see a movie the like ideally the weekend it comes out in a movie theater because they enjoy that experience. You're going to have the person who prefers to um, prefers to stay home and watch it on streaming. That person is I'm we're going to call the mat, and that person is going to not want to go to a busy theater and spend a bunch of money on concessions, and is rather going to watch that on his 4K HDR TV in the comfort of his own home, or. You might have somebody who is neither of those people. You might have, let's call them the Christie. You might have the Christie who the, the chat who is not worried so much about being in the zeitgeist about something, and will see something when they're flipping through their you know their the streaming catalog months later and be like, oh, I have some time. I heard some things about that. So because we don't know the numbers of who those like how active those people are going to be and whether those people are going to continue doing what they've always done or change judge it like change because of the changes that have happened over the course of the year we we won't know ultimately what the fate of any of these industries will be until we see that i mean we're we're at a turning point here yeah it's a turning point and i think that's why this is the story of the year because you can't go back the studios are too powerful now. They cannot rescind this power. You're not going to see, as soon as people start going to movie theaters again, you're not going to see the studios be like, okay, well, that was a fun six months we just had of releasing movies day one on, in theaters. Uh, guess what, everybody? Sorry, no more. Uh, go see everything in theaters again. No, they can't go back. You can't go backwards from this. This is a turning point forever. This is permanent. And so the relation between theaters and studios <laughs> is the story. Yeah, I, th- I think that's the story is because this it's never going to be the same anymore. All right, uh, I'm fine with that. that a century of relationship just just potentially not severed, but it definitely altered. I'm good with that being our story. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say Tenet because we just constantly talked about that week after week. Yeah, it became but our it's part Netflix, of that. But that's part but that's that wraps re- into it. Yeah, it's part of it because like it's it's the poster child, right? It's the poster child because Christopher Nolan won so badly for people to see it the way he wanted to see it, but he's stuck in the past. And I think that 2020 proved that that is the past now. 
at least business wise, at least taste wise. Like, I think there's some truth to it, which is some people like you are going to want to see it in a certain way, but most people, they just want to see the thing and they don't care how good it looks or how good it sounds. Lowest common denominator wins every time. Well, yeah, that's how we got Kevin Hart. (laughs) Wow. Just burn on Kevin Hart out of nowhere. Well, you said lowest. <laughs> What's the opposite of a media boat podcast favorite? Like, I think Kevin Hart is the opposite of whatever that is. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, uh, we have some lists to get to. <laughs> yeah, so now that we've wrapped up the stories of the year, it's time to talk about the best part. Our top five things of the year. In this case, the top five movies that we've seen this year. This was an incredibly difficult year to pick movies. And it wasn't because of the amount of movies. No, but I mean, it was partially because of the amount of movies. Oh, yeah. Because the smaller pool that you have to choose from means that there's going to be, it's going to be harder to pick the good from the bad. And so what ended up happening is, yeah, we had like maybe a handful of things that we really enjoyed, but then we had leftovers that, well, would they have made a top five in a year where more stuff came out? Probably not. But here we are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw, saw saw 33 films. Or at least we talked about had that on our list here. Probably more. But like what's Onward and Stargirl get on the list? It's like this is just what were we streaming oh. at that point? Oh, Onward. <laughs> I totally forgot that that was this year. That was this year. Okay. Is that on your list? No, I don't think it makes it. But it's interesting, though, that I totally missed it earlier when I was thinking about this year's releases. Yeah, no, I don't. I still don't think it makes my list. But but it's good to remember that it exists. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's a certain film for certain people. Yeah. Who have that certain relationship. Sure. Yeah, I I can see that working. A lot of people didn't, but a lot of people did. Yeah, so. it, it worked. It, it, I liked it. I think it's good, but it wasn't, it's not, like, if we're going to, like, have a tier list of Pixar films and, like, S tier, best, A tier, B tier, down, like, it's a B tier for me. Well, you know, top is always double S tier. S oh, plus, double, plus, double plus. S, yes. If you want to get all fancy on it. Get okay, anime anyway. on it. So top five lists. Um, I do not recall who went first last time. Uh, last time <laughs> it was did. television. Television. I, and I think I went first last time. You did, because I remember talking about Last Dance and Ted Lasso after you. Okay, that means that I guess I will go first here for movies. So yeah, like I said, my movie list uh, is not great this year because of how few movies were out and how movies, how few movies I actually saw. There's not a lot of whole things that really caught my interest this year um, until we get towards the end of the year here. Um, and there were some movies that I thought were going to be surefire things I would love that failed to impress and did not make this list at all. So let's start at the very, very bottom of this list. Number five with a movie that was actually as pleasant surprise for me, kind of the opposite kind of sensation. Uh, something I didn't think that I was going to enjoy as much as I did, but had a really fun time with it. 
which was uh, Bill and Ted Face the Music. The first two Bill and Ted's uh, were fun pieces of my childhood. I remember watching them with my family on like TNT, you know, on Sunday afternoon, because that's how you saw movies from, you know, from like the the late 80s, early 90s. When you were a kid, they were always playing on the Turner Networks. Um, (laughs) And so, yeah, I remember enjoying them as a kid. I mean, they're perfect, like kids movies in a way because of just how goofy and over the top the characters are and there's music and there's, you know, the references to historical figures, they're fun movies. And so I was really happy to see that the new one, the third in the series kind of picking up where it left off decades later um, has the same energy and the same vibe to it. And I enjoyed it a lot. It's a really funny script. It's got a great cast. Um, the stars of this thing are the daughter characters that they have, uh, that are the daughters of Bill and Ted. Uh, they kind of figured out a new and a fresh way to like, to like have the structure of a Bill and Ted film, but twist it with how much time has has passed. It was a way to do a reboot film that didn't feel stagnant and reliant on nostalgia. And the part that makes it extra work is that the very moral of the story that the film is telling is about actually you shouldn't be stuck in your nostalgia for the past. Let the new people like pass the torch on. You don't have to be the be all end all at a certain point. You can give the gift of like possibility to the next generation. And that's a really cool lesson and a really welcome one in a reboot. So I had a really good time with it. Uh, it's not amazing. It's not world changing. It's not going to like blow your mind or anything, but it's a fun, funny time with some music. And there's a part where Dave Grohl shows up. I mean, it's what you think it is. And I had a good time with it. And you didn't mind that the daughters kind of took a lot of the roles from it? No, that's what I'm saying. I think that that's one of the reasons why it works. Okay. Yes, Keanu Reeves, of course. Yes, he's a national treasure. You get the amount of cut Keanu Reeves you need in this thing. I don't think, I don't think it detracts from the film that you don't get as much Bill and Ted in it, because you get a different Bill and Ted, and that's fine. And it does set up the potential for them to kind of take the franchise and make it into their own, which would be cool. Sounds cool. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed it. Uh, next up, number four is another thing that surprised me. Although in retrospect, maybe I shouldn't have been so surprised. Um, the prom on I Netflix. Was literally just staring at that on the list here. So yeah, um, friend of the show, Christy, big musical theater uh, fan. She gushed about the stage version of the prom, and it was her pick for best musical at the Tonys. It lost, unfortunately, and it was also uh, not um going to last very much longer on broadway as it was uh, kind of kind of killed off before um she believed that it should have been it just did not succeed in the way that the quality of the show suggested it would and of course the pandemic doesn't help in that situation um but what it did allow is that it allowed the, the it's uh, kind of brief time on broadway allowed it to be quicker to be picked up for a film adaptation and so netflix jumped right on it Uh, which is why you see it. So it would have been a Netflix film regardless of the pandemic, though it was released in um, a small amount of theaters. 
but regardless, I think this is a fun musical. If you like good time, like if you like musicals, this is a musical ass musical. It's very self-referential to other musicals. It requires, some of the jokes require a lot of previous knowledge about stars of and premises of other musicals. But don't let that scare you away because I think if you, even if you don't have that background, the story at its core is of just a lesbian couple that just wants to go to prom. They just want to have a prom night, just like every other kid. And it's a really touching emotional story that I think works really, really well. There's some criticism online about the casting, you know, does Meryl Streep need to be in this movie? Probably not, but it doesn't hurt. Does James Corden need to be playing a gay man? Eh, probably not, but you know what? He's fine. And so there's a lot of those little nitpicks that you can pick at it. But honestly, if you just kind of lean back, relax, and just enjoy the music and the emotion of it, I think it's a really fun time. So if you have Netflix and you love musicals, yeah, give it a shot. I think it's an enjoyable time. Again, though, not going to blow your mind. It's not the best thing in the world, but it's pretty good. Well, I'm glad you liked it. I know you can't try to get me to watch it. I'd say try it out if you like musicals. You love Hamilton. <laughs> we'll I mean, get there. Well, we'll get to Hamilton in a bit. <laughs> Spoiler. All right. So now for my top three. These are bangers. And I mean, what I mean by that is all three of these movies, I think, are amazing. And it sucks that I had to rank them. All I right. enjoyed all of so these movies. What is your 1A, 1B, 1C? It's essentially that, but not really, because I think number one is still really number one. It's more that two and three are kind of interchangeable here, because I like them, and I like them, weirdly enough, for similar reasons. Okay, 2A and 2B then. Yeah. So my number three, or 2B, if you will, to be or not to be, is Soul. Disney Pixar Soul. Um, so yeah, we recently talked about this. If you're a normal podcast listener, the podcast where we talk about Soul at length um, has just gone up. Um, but um, just to kind of briefly recap what I, my feelings about this film were is I think it is Pixar at its A-game. I think this is top-tier Pixar. If on where it is a B, this is an S. Uh, it's just impeccable story uh, and just amazing like visualization of a metaphorical concept, which I think is in their best movies, is something they excel at. I think the characters are great and memorable. I think that the, the yeah, just the, the morals, like the meaning of the story is definitely makes you really consider like big grand questions about life and meaning. And yeah, it's, it's just an incredible thing to just think about in the way that Inside Out was, in the way that Coco was. I do have to say, not my favorite of that kind. I th- still prefer Inside Out and Coco from them. I think I think the reasoning being because they're more personal stories and they're about single per- people. This one, even though the framing device is about a single person, it's so much more broad than that. And it's more about just, it's more about the big picture about like, oh, what is, like, is there even a meaning of life? What does matter? And so that it was enough of a reason for me not to have it like on the top of my personal Pixar list. That being said, though, if I'm talking about Soul in the same sentence that I'm talking about Inside Out and Coco, that means it's top tier and means it's a just an amazing piece of animation and movie work. Um, yeah, there's more, you know, little nitpicks I could make on it, but that was for the other podcast. 
I still really had a good time with it. And the fact that anybody can see it on Disney plus right now, that rules people just watch this. And that's great. Um, because I think that everybody should, uh, watch this, uh, because it's a great Pixar movie. Right. And Coco was our media boat yes. film of the year two years ago, 2018. It sure was. And then, yeah, this won't beat Coco for me or yeah, but I still think that it's a really excellent, uh, way to, consider and i think it relieves a lot of anxieties that people have had especially after this year a year where a lot of people have probably gone off of their grand plans for their lives so yeah it's it's a vital and very well-made movie but it's not two or one on my list number two is something that i'm indebted to you for because i should have watched this earlier than i did but when I finally did, I saw what you were so excited about. And that, of course, is the Hulu original Palm Springs. Now, I tried to get you to watch this. I tried you to did. sell this to you. You did. I did a write-up for it on the Mevo podcast website for it. Right. It but was the, that good for me. The but problem? What did you think? So the problem with selling Palm Springs to other people is that the best parts of Palm Springs are spoilers and you cannot tell other people about it. You just have to start it. You have to start watching the film in order to get why it's so great. Because if somebody just tells you, oh, it's like Groundhog Day, but kind of not, it doesn't sell you on it. But watching it, I had a completely different experience. I loved every minute of this film. So the reason why this movie works is because it just keeps twisting. It twists in ways that you don't see coming. Everybody in this film is endearing and funny and just like, it just works so well as a, as an ensemble vehicle. Um, and yeah. And just like the real, and the relationship between the characters is incredibly realistic and it solves one of the biggest problems in romantic comedy, which is how do you realistically show a relationship go from we just met to we're in love by the end of the, um, of an hour and 30 minute runtime this solves that problem is that they've spent thousands of years together potentially. And like, that's what, that's a little bit of a spoiler. Sorry. I should say, maybe that's a spoiler. Uh, <laughs> sorry. It's that's out. what I mean We've though. Talked about it. So much of the great parts about this movie is require you to spoil it, unfortunately. So I'm really walking on eggshells here, um, but it's really inventive. It's smart. The characters are great. Um, it doesn't overstay its welcome. Like I said, in a year full of, you know, in, a, in an industry full of two hour plus movies, having a movie that gets in and gets out by minute by an hour 45 is rare and welcomed, in my opinion. I love a movie that knows exactly when it wants to be, gets in, does the thing, does it well, gets out. And this does that. And it's just fantastic from beginning to end. I, and just like Soul, and why I said they're kind of similar, um, is they're similar in the way where it does also have like a lot of thought-provoking questions about what it means to have relationships in over the course of your life. Like it's interesting. Like it's, it proposes some interesting concepts about like, oh, but what are you living for? Like, what are the reasons why we live, why we do the same things over and over again with the same people? Like, is there a reason for it? Is there a meaning to it? And so, yeah, like, again, in a year 
like 2020, a lot of people are having that debate with themselves or with their friends about like, what does it mean when I can't enjoy the things that I used to enjoy all the time? What does it mean if I can't have the relationships that I used to in the same way? And what is, how does, like, how do I get out of what feels like an endless loop of the same thing over and over again? (laughs) So I think Palm Springs worked this year specifically because of how well it tapped into those questions that a lot of people are dealing with right now. And yeah, it's just a blast to watch. Right. And I had a blast watching it too and selling it to you. (laughs) Oh, spoiler alert. I'll be talking about it as well. I'm sure you will. But, but what was your number one film, it's though? not number one. And this number one comes with a giant asterisk because it's really just because I'm the person I am and because I was in the headspace that I was this year. It's just, I've been on a wild ride with my brain and, like, over the course of, the, of 2020, just exploring different things, trying to figure out, like, really questioning why I like the things I like or why I don't like the things I don't like and stuff like that. And so, yeah, so this is probably no one else's number one. It's just mine. It's just my little weird little pet thing that's been stuck to my brain. And that pet thing that stuck to my brain, her name, her last name is Swift and her first name is Taylor. All right. So tell (laughs) me about the long pond sessions. No, no, no. no. Further back. Further back. Yeah. Um, Lover tour. No, 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 no. Further back than that, believe it or not. Pre-pandemic. Okay. I don't think this counts. (laughs) It's still 2020, believe it or not. Um, What I'm talking about is the the Netflix documentary, Miss Americana. Um, So this thing is a documentary about Taylor Swift, as you might have guessed. But But it is a specific portion of of her career during the recording sessions for reputation and lover so this predates the pandemic era taylor that we now have with folklore and evermore and so it ends up being this very interesting piece of time where taylor was still experiencing the stresses and day-to-day chaos of being a enormous superstar But the beginnings of a pivot, the start of where she was finally getting some control over her career and making decisions that she was never making before about how she put her image out to the world, how she was portrayed as a star. Cardinal rules of her identity and her brand, because she is very much a brand, were changing. And they would never be able to change back. And they would only morph more as the year went on. But she didn't know. And the audience didn't know. And everybody in this documentary didn't know what was going to happen just mere months later. Which makes it even more just wild. And so, yeah, the thing, what this documentary does really well is they could have just easily very, it could have just easily been a backstage tour thing. The Reputation tour was gigantic. It was huge. And but instead, what they decide to do is they really just dwell on the just the person who Taylor is instead of the actual like mechanics of being a star. They talked, they wanted to get into the psychology of what she was thinking during this period of time because it was kind of a lot for her at the time. So the reputation tour 
not only the fact that Reputation was also getting middling reviews in the press, then on top of that, the Kanye West relationship got even weirder during this time because this was back when the famous video uh, or the famous like song that mentions her and um, the whole debacle about whether or not Taylor signed off on the Kanye verse. Right, so, the I made her famous line. And then immediately after that, you have her sexual assault case that she won against the radio DJ who, who groped her. All of this is happening at once. And then on top of that, and I think the main pivot that she makes her choice to finally come out in favor of a political candidate when the primaries in Tennessee are happening in 2017, where she finally says, no, no, please, please vote for the Democrat. Like I'm not messing around anymore, please. And then you had like an uptick in people in Tennessee um, registering to vote more or less because of it. And so there's a lot in this period of time, in this short little period of time, there's a lot happening to her. And so you get a tailor that is very uniquely vulnerable. Um, there's a handful of scenes that really stick out to me. The first of which is really early on, you see her relate her reaction in real time to not getting um, nominated for album of the year for reputation at the Grammys. She's on the phone with her PR person and learning this news. And you just see the life just leave her face. You just see just like, and you meet, she immediately goes into the like, reactionary mode that people do when they get upset about something. Her reaction isn't, oh, that sucks. Her reaction is, oh, well, I just need to make a better album then. I guess the next one just needs to be better. It's just this very raw, real reaction that you're not used to getting in these documentaries. You're not used to seeing the side of a celebrity. And then from there on, that's the tailor you get. She's just very upfront about all these things that she's dealing with. She delves into the Kanye stuff. She did like the whole like Taylor's over party thing that happened during this period of time. She talks about how this, the fans turning their back on her is like her kryptonite. It was the thing that just completely ruined her because she is this person who has built her entire personality on getting reaction from her audience because she's been doing music since she was a teenager, she has this need for reciprocity from, from the world. And if she doesn't believe she's doing enough, she just breaks down. Again, a side that I don't think people saw from her or a lot of celebrity. And so what it does, it creates this image. It humanizes Taylor. And you could, of course, argue that there's a calculated part of this where she needed humanization in this part of her career in order for the rest of this to work as well as it did. But at the same time, it's personable and it made it's relatable in a way that I hadn't really seen before. So it's just, yeah, I mean, I could go, I could probably talk for a long time about this thing. I think there's so many moments in this thing that are very, I don't know, just telling about, what the structure of being a celebrity in modern society means in an age of social media and an age of constant pressure. But knowing how the rest of the year went on, I feel even better about like how, my reaction to this film because it started the ball rolling of her getting control, complete control of her, over her career. The Taylor pre this era does not put out records like 
folklore and evermore. The reason why those exist is because she went through this experience and grabbed her career back from the people who took it away. And it's just fascinating work for me. I watched this thing twice. <laughs> like, like, I just think it's a fascinating thing. Yes, it's very easy to be like, oh, well, she's a celebrity. Like, these aren't real problems. Like, she's very privileged. Yes, that's all true. I will admit she's in a very priv- priv- privileged position and that these aren't necessarily real problems. But there is a humanity here. And there's moments like that moment where uh, that moment I mentioned and like arguing with her dad about whether or not to go publicly political and stuff like that, where it's just, you see the humanity in her in a way that you hadn't, that I hadn't specifically. And yeah, it just, I don't know. It worked for me and it won't work for anybody else, especially, you know, with how complicated it is now re- with the relationship between celebrity and, and normalcy. But it's just it's so much of a can of worms. I can't get into it right now, but yeah, I enjoyed it. It's my favorite thing I saw all year. <laughs> well, you definitely got into it there. Yeah. I, like I said, I could keep going, but we do not have time. And whose fault is that? <laughs> my fault. <laughs> anyway. All right. Anyway. But you so have top you, five that you need to talk about. Uh, okay. So every year I do two lists. Yes. My sequels, reboots, and remakes list. <laughs> and my originals list. I think you're lacking on uh, some of those though this year yeah um turns out not a whole lot of sequel reboots and rebakes or <laughs> that i saw that i liked turns out no yeah in a year where you can't go to theater and basically all summer movies were killed you're left with pretty much one list yeah um so i only have a top five this year and it saddens me Can, uh, I mean, I'm happy that I saw these films, but it saddens me that I could only have one list because yeah. I love movies. <laughs> I'm the Mike of the movies here. The movie, the movie Mike. Yep. All right. So, number five on my list is a film that came out in the summer that I watched because it was free, and it was at the <laughs> height of the protests, mm-hmm. and it features media boat favorite Michael B. <laughs> Jordan. Yes, me about favorite Michael B. Jordan. Yes, uh, I'm talking about Just Mercy. Yeah, which actually came out in January in theaters, but was kind of swept under the rug because it didn't get any Oscar buzz, and then kind of got a resurgence when the protest George Floyd Black Lives Matter started rolling in, mm-hmm. started happening across the country, and Just Mercy became free available everywhere for those two weeks. I think they sent to a month, but I watched it because of that and it hits hard. It hits everything that those protests are about. It's a fresh film from fresh eyes. And like I said, it stars me both favorite Michael B. Jordan. It stars opposite Jamie Foxx, I believe. Who, hey, what do you know? He's pop, he'll be popping up twice on my list. Yeah, he does actually pop up twice on your list. <laughs> but yeah, no, this is this was one of those clandestine timing things, right? Like, obviously, this film was written and produced prior and did not probably anticipate the uh, 
movement, specific movement that would happen this summer, but it benefited from it. You're right, which is a weird thing to say, but you know what I mean. Um, that, yeah, it benefited from being the conversation at the time and it felt more poignant because of it. Yeah, and I think that's kind of why I remember it more and I remember it better because of what was happening surrounding it. And I mean, just on top of it being a good film on in that should definitely be looked at more uh, that is based off a true story mm-hmm. it's just you know harpens on all that injustice that we saw that those protests were about and it's it just makes it that much more impactful because of it yeah and but it's only on my number five though I do suggest watching it if you can. Um, it is a hard-hitting movie, so may not exactly be for everyone. It's not your family-friendly, oh, let's watch this together. It's kind of a, you need to sit and pay attention here Yeah, type of film. But that brings me to my number four film, which is, you know, kind of also in that you need to sit and pay attention film because a lot's happening. And then a lot happens backwards, and a lot happens forwards, and then a lot happens backwards, and a lot happens forwards, and you can't understand the forward until you go backwards. And that's kind of the motto of this film. Uh-huh. Will it be released? No, it won't be released. <laughs> yes, it will be released. No, we're going to pull it from release. I'm going to release it anyways. Oh, no, it's a bad release. I'm talking about Tenet. Yeah, you yeah, sure are. <laughs> Uh, and that basically sums that up. Because, <laughs> yes, this movie, much like Christopher, other Christopher Nolan films, is quite a confusing mess of a film. But also a mess in an artistic way because it does play with that forwards and backwards and how time is kind of a set on a set course. But it can also be changed, changing your destiny. It's a weird film without like physically showing people, but the best way I could explain it is if you're watching a movie and you put it in reverse, or you hit rewind and you see that everything happening in reverse going backwards, it's because you know that it's gonna happen going forwards and it's gonna happen going in reverse that is on a set timeline that's on a set act course of actions it cannot be changed but that's also the ride of the film is trying <laughs> to change that and trying to understand the mystery that Christopher Nolan packs into his film unfold before you i will say that watching this film in a drive-in theater with probably not that good stereo system <laughs> does affect it because that's one of the things that came out of this film was a lot of people complaining about the audio which I mean being honest this film was meant to be seen in an IMAX with crystal clear 7.1210 audio and it's trying to get that out of a car stereo speaker is not going to be the same thing (laughs) no no probably not which I mean 
Again, it goes back to the conversation about whether or not seeing it in a way that Nolan didn't intend betrays its vision or something. But the fact that it's still on your top five list, even through the way that you that you witnessed it, I think says that there's still something to the way he makes his movies. That's because he makes a compelling story and a bit and visual achievements in it. Mm-hmm. A lot of his effects are practical effects. He is not heavy on the CGI train because he is a film purist. Being said that, yes, there is a lot of film trickery going on, but it's all practical effect film trickery that is going <laughs> on. Yeah, and that, and I think I saw this quote recently is regarding the Mandalorian, but it was practical effects will beat 10 year old CGI effects any day of the week. And I think that's what we're going to see here with this film is that as it ages, it will be one of those films that ages well because of practical effects. And it's kind of one of the reasons that I like it too. Also, John David Washington is going to win himself an an Oscar one of these days. (laughs) <laughs> probably not from this movie but maybe probably one of these days film, but one of these days he <laughs> sells everything on the screen and you kind of have to because you're following his journey both forwards and backwards and it's a complicated mess but he's able to sell it so well that at no point do you feel lost like with inception where you're kind of losing yourself between <laughs> layers upon first viewings yeah that's not the case here. It does play with time, and Christopher Nolan loves playing with time, but at no point did you feel like you were losing your mind while watching it. Which means he's getting better as a director. <laughs> well, I mean, you would certainly hope. <laughs> yep, okay. And When more every- people are allowed to see it, we'll hear more takes on Tenet. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, this is a film that probably requires multiple viewings at least, but hey, I'll get there sometime. <laughs> Once it's on the HBO Max, we'll talk about it later. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now it brings me to my top three films. And yes, these could probably be ordered, like you said, in any way. <laughs> it's just one of those years, like I said. It's like those years. just three strong ones, and then the rest were just movies. Yep. <laughs> All right, my number three, probably going to surprise you. Okay. Because it's technically not a film, (laughs) at least according to the Academy Awards. I see what you did there. My number three film is Hamilton. Okay, the Disney Plus production. Yes. Of Hamilton. Um, now, I'd shown you my list prior to this, and you <laughs> had questioned, should Hamilton be on the list, and should it be my number one film? And I said, yes, that, I did have this as my number one film for a while. I said that, yeah, it, it it's fine because this is your personal list, and this isn't the Academy Awards. So I think what I said, we don't have to adhere to the same rules. I think it counts because it is not a television show. It's not anything else. It is a movie that that disney had planned at one point releasing theatrically so yes this absolutely counts uh should it be number one that's up to you (laughs) right and that's where i had to struggle with was do i like it as a film or do i like it as just a musical because if you look at my playlist my uh 
view count on Hamilton, if there was yeah. a view count, it would be double digits easily. Right. Now, that being said, I had to struggle kind of like the past week. Do I like it just because of the soundtrack? Because I'll put it on just to listen to it and then occasionally like look at it or go back to certain scenes, <laughs> but not necessarily like I'm going to watch it like I have with Avengers and uh, previous number one films. And, you know, part of me would say that if you have to ask that question, maybe the movie part is not that great. But then the other half of me stops that and says, no, that's being ridiculous because what you're describing is how most people enjoy movie musicals. This is just part of what a movie musical is supposed to do. Is it supposed to be? Yes, it can be enjoyed as a whole, but because it's full of music and memorable set pieces, sometimes you just want to hear that one song. Sometimes you just want to see that one set piece and Hamilton works in that way for a lot of people. So no, I don't think that, I don't think that the way, even though I have my gripes about how it is presented as a movie, it was what I mentioned earlier on this podcast. um, I still don't think that you should, that that it detracts from the fact that it's still an enjoyable thing for a lot of people. Yes, but I did do research and go back into our previous year's podcasts Uh of end of the year lists because I wanted to see where I ranked The Greatest Showman because I like that as the music more than the production. But to be fair, The Greatest Showman, there's two things about that. One, it's much worse. And two... (laughs) Oh, no, I realize that. It's a much worse film. But And two, it's an unfair... music as much. Yeah. But and two, like, it's an unfair comparison to make because that is a movie adaptation of a musical. This is not a movie adaptation of a musical. This is a musical shot in a theatrical presentation from a stage production. They're different and it's kind of apples and oranges. Right, but I needed like something as a base to compare it to though. Yeah. Because this, I have not seen this kind of movie style before. <laughs> I need a uh, spoiler if you don't want to go back, I ended up breaking that as my number five movie when that came out. Right. But I think Hamilton is a well-deserved three though, because I like the production. I think without the production, you don't get the same feeling as just listening to the soundtrack. Yeah, you're right. It benefits from the visual. Right. And that's kind of like why I never went to go search for the soundtrack beforehand, because with musicals, you need that audio visual what's going on. Yeah rather than just an audio version right you need that tangible reaction from the actors but i had two better films (laughs) but wait there's more all right so uh, my top two films are actually the two films that are going to cross over on our lists (laughs) what do you know but I'm curious about in which order they will appear. Hmm. Which order? Hmm. Which order? I mean, I'm. let me toss a coin here. See what I land on. <laughs> All right. My number two film is, drum roll, please. <laughs> keep that drum roll going, going because he's a part of the band in the film. <laughs> Talking about soul. Nice. As my number two film. And yeah, everything you said, and we literally just said on our previous podcast, basically describes soul. It is them at their best when Peak Doctor can come in and Mm -hmm. put 
on film or animated film, put in animation what we can only dream of and think of and mm-hmm. basically why animation works as a medium in putting the unrealistic tangible like right. you can see it it's a feat in its own i mean all animation starts with a blank screen there's no reference for anything and you have to create from that and to create a world that is soul and that is live and vibrant and the characters feel real and interact in a real setting and then you take them into a metaphysical space and that still feels real <laughs> and vibrant and exciting. Right. It takes a special kind of animation and animators to do something like that. Yeah. And that's what soul is. Yeah. I mean, yes, I think you are right that there are in a top five ranking of our, all Pixar films. I have, Films that are above it, like Coco, Mm -hmm. Ratatouille, Inside Out, Incredibles. But then you start to get into that list, into like the next top five, where it's like, oh, okay. It's a really, really good film. (laughs) And maybe it does deserve to be up there. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it doesn't, because it's not a film I will constantly go back to. And I think that's a might be one of the things here where I don't know see myself going back to Seoul very often. I think we'll have to wait and see. Um, We won't know that quite yet. No, I mean, I've watched it twice. Yeah, I've watched it twice. And I've definitely thought about like the possibility of watching it again. And you know what? I could do it. I think I think it has the potential to be very rewatchable. I think it does too, but you also kind of have to be in that mindset because Mm -hmm. this film can break you if you're not (laughs) ready for it. Right, right. I was prepared, I guess, and so it didn't hit me uh, in the same way that it did a lot of people. But I think that if you're in a specific place in your life right now, I think, yes, this film is engineered to hurt you. (laughs) Right, but I think that's kind of good. In a good way. Hand in hand with a lot of Pixar films, right? Like, exactly. That emotional Coco gut punch. can hit differently depending oh, yeah. on when you see it. Yes, certainly. Onward can hit differently depending on what type of relationship you had growing Oof. up. Mm-hmm. Inside Out, Inside Out hit um, differently can hit you on how old if you, you were in the exact headspace I was the night I saw it for the first time, <laughs> where I literally bawled, like I cried harder than I had cried in a long time for some inexplicable reason that to this day, I'm not really sure why. What do you mean? I was with you when that happened. Yes, you were sitting next to me when that <laughs> happened. And I don't know why it did what it did, but it did things to me. Oh man, that means I, saw, I took two people to different <laughs> Pixar films in which they bawled their eyes out. Yeah, it happens. It tends to happen. At it those. tends to happen with Pixar films, <laughs> believe it or not. Anyway. Anyways, um, I think that's mainly why I, I put it at number two, because it hits you hard and it's a great film it's pixar at its finest mm-hmm. i just don't see myself either constantly recommending it i mean we'll see we'll see how it but goes. we'll see it's it's still fresh yeah so it is real playing real heavily into that recency factor right yeah but you know i was thinking about that but then again i feel like we've 
lost all all ability to have that as a factor when we named Coco not in the same year, in the same calendar year, not only our favorite movie of the year, but our favorite Pixar movie ever. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we're allowed to use that excuse. All right. <laughs> anyway. Maybe so. Okay, but that brings us to my number one film. And it's a film that came out in the beginning of the year mm-hmm. that... I think I did not expect to like as much, <laughs> but I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. And that is Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. Oh. So this it's... came out in January. Okay. going to challenge you a little here. Okay. Go ahead. Challenge <sighs> me. I think that this is, yes, it was released in a way in calendar year 2020. But it was also released in a way in calendar year 2019. So I think that that invalidates it. So even though it's the best thing I saw this calendar year, yes, because it's a film that released in 2019, won the best picture for the 2019 Oscars. (laughs) Yes. Because You're it was originally it released, because it was religion originally released in 2019, I don't think this is a 2020 movie. But it's your list, and I can't tell you what to do. Well, I'm going to adhere by release date <laughs> then, um, and say fine. You can First, keep I- it. Like I said, it's your list. You can do what you want with it. If you want two number ones, you can have two number ones. Or if you want one number one, it's fine. It can it can be whatever I want. Just pretend we I didn't make say our anything. Own rules. Continue. Pretend I didn't say anything. Go right ahead. Talk about Parasite because I still have not seen this. Oh, I suggest you see Parasite because it's on Hulu right now Mm -hmm. and it is a beautiful, beautiful film. There is a reason it won Best Picture, Best International Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay. There are a lot of layers to this film and that's why I like this movie is because it has layers. I like my movies that have layers. Mm -hmm. That being said, Palm Springs is also a film that has <laughs> many layers and is also my, my true number one film. Oh, you buried the lead. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Anyway. So while Parasite is a great film and I love it and I absolutely implore people to watch it because I can't talk enough about it without spoiling it. Mm-hmm. The exact same thing can be said about Palm Springs. I cannot talk enough about this film. I, everyone I talk to who said, I have nothing to watch. I tell them, have you seen Palm Springs? <laughs> no, go yes. watch it. It is great. It is fantastic. It is a comedy yeah. that you'll be happy to see. It stars Andy Samberg at a comedic genius level <laughs> with uh, just so many good things. Real quick, I just want to say something because this just popped into my head. I'm like, oh, no wonder he likes this movie so much because having gone, having taken several writing classes with you, I know the kind of thing you write. And this honestly feels like something that of the kind of style of script that you would have written. And now I realize why you like this movie so much. It's quirky. It's funny. It's but it, it And it deals with time, time stuff, which you are fascinated with. Oh, I love time stuff. <laughs> Yes. I mean, my favorite movie ever is Back to the Future. Right. 
So yeah, I love that sense. time travel crap. So yeah, time time logic comedies are your genre. Yes, and this <laughs> does it in such a way that, oh, I mean, every character J.K. Simmons pops up and is a delight. Mm-hmm. He's hilarious. He's the best thing. The whole movie. thing with Kristen Melody. <laughs> the fact that, I mean, I can easily spoil this thing, but. I'm trying not to. Yeah, no, that's why I was trying. That was, that, and, that and was having that trouble was the whole, with. The hard point of me trying to sell this to you to watch it right back when it came out, that mm-hmm. it's a great film. There's great chemistry here. And it's a great storytelling that we have not seen. Yeah. And the ending, you don't see coming, but it works. It's a mm-hmm. fresh take on the ending of a time loop scenario. Right. And it, and again, like it, it fixes two like major problems in a plot, which is like the one I mentioned, but then the other one that it fixes is how in the world does character figure out how to fix the extremely complicated scientific problem that they're facing? Well, this film figures out a way to solve that in a way that makes sense. Right, because when you have infinite time... Again, yeah. Spoiler. Spoiler. (laughs) Spoiler. Time loop. Nothing matters. Time loop. Spoiler. Yeah, it it gives a reason... It gives logic to something that is extremely illogical. Yes. Does it really make sense even with the time loop? No. But still, you accept it and you move on because it's like, if if you buy the premise, you buy the entire film. I mean, if you if you can't buy the time loop, this movie obviously not for you. And obviously right, exactly. Not buy exactly. The you, but but yeah, it's just it's a smart machine that everything works in a perfect way. I think one of the reasons why you and a lot of people like these mo- kinds of movies, whether it be Back to the Future or Groundhog Day or this, I think the reason why is because it's a puzzle that has to work. And actually, to a certain extent, movies like Tenet, Christopher Nolan's work. The reason why I think that people are attracted to it is because it's a machine. The movie is a machine. The script is a machine where every little part has to work in order for the whole thing to work. And just the meticulous attention to detail that makes these script works makes the payoff even better at the end. Right, because that's one of the hard things about doing a movie like this is can you stick the landing? We saw Netflix do it with Russian Doll, which I hated, (laughs) but was the same premise of a time. Because, yeah, you broke, because it broke a lot of your cardinal things Mm -hmm. that you expect in something in that genre. Right. And it also broke the rules that it itself set up. Here, it sets up the rules and it doesn't break them for anything. It just allows the characters to evolve in this scenario without breaking its own rules. Yes. And that was refreshing. And that's why Palm Springs is, can I just go ahead and claim it our film of the year? Yeah, I was going to say, I'm actually kind of glad that you ranked this the way it is, uh, because I would have been fine with Soul, but I'm glad that it's Palm Springs, because what a weird... What a weird year. <laughs> Here's the problem if we would have named Soul, though. Yeah. It would have been our fifth Disney movie in a row. I know. It also is a combo breaker, which is exciting for us here at the Media Pop Podcast. We don't want to be too predictable. 
Um, yeah, I was all prepared for Soul um, being picked going into this because I didn't know where you were going to put Palm Springs. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad that this is where we end up because yeah, looking back, I think that what we said about this film, I think, yeah, I think I'm totally comfortable with saying that it's my favorite, like our favorite thing that we watched this year. I think it checks both of our boxes. It's one of those rare films that delivers for us in just enough ways where it gives us both what we're looking for in movies like this, but f- slightly different reasons. Aren't you glad I watched this quirky film? <laughs> I'm glad I watched it eventually too. In fact, now I'm like, okay, now I have extra oomph. I need to get Christy to watch this with me. Oh, she needs to experience it's this. It's hilarious. Yeah, she, I mean, she needs to experience it next. It was a fan favorite of our house. Yeah. And we all have three different styles of movies. Oh yeah, no, totally. But we all agree that palm springs is the best yeah okay well and that that, will do that it. wraps us up here that will do it and wrap up is right because what we did was we finally finished our wrap up for the year that was 2020 and we have one last task to do which is of course look forward to the future yes 2020 might be over but 2021 is right on the horizon we are mere days away hours hours away um, from a brand new year. And what we do as a tradition here at the Media Boat Podcast is we give you one podcast that looks forward into the future where we predict what, uh, or not necessarily just predict, but we look into see what is coming out next year, what we're excited for, uh, what we think is going to happen. So maybe a little bit of predictions as well. Um, and that will be in our next episode. So tune in for that, our finale uh, episode for this season, season five of the Media Vote Podcast, uh, where we talk about 2021. But until then, thanks for joining us for these wrap-up specials. If you need, still need guidance on how to find this stuff, Media Boat Podcast, search that anywhere, and you'll probably find us. Video form on YouTube for our regular Wednesday shows. Audio form on podcast services such as Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google, and Apple. On social media, like Twitter, where we're at MediaBoatCast. On Facebook, where our page is, you can find it by searching MediaBoatPodcast. Email us with questions, comments, whatever you want to do. MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. All of that remains true into the end of the year. So thank you for joining us for a wonderful, tumultuous, weird 2020. And we look forward to speaking to you in the new harrowing year of 2021 you can also catch up on any of our other end of the year lists that are all currently available mm-hmm. um not just this year but our previous years as well yeah and if you're listening and look forward to the complete as you said end of the year bye bye 2020 looking forward to 2021 coming yeah. out soon yeah. unless you're in the future in which case it's up right now go for it bye